Jacob and Esau, we could have entitled this uh, The Twins, I suppose, because they were twins. Uh, we're continuing our story of uh, Abraham's heritage, and if you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Um, it's interesting to note that Abraham lived to be 175 years of age, older than I am, which is kind of stunning itself. But he lived a long, long life, 175 years of age. And we begin by picking up the story because he had now passed away by the time this story is being told. This is the account, verse 19. This is the account of the family of the line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel of Aramea from Padan Amram, and the sister of Laban the Armenian. So if you remember the story, he made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant was that he would bless his heirs and that he would have followers and his family would be like the sands of the sea. And of course, as you remember the story, he asked, asked him to please move and he took him over to Palestine, to the Middle East. And there he, Abraham, he told Abraham, this is where your land, and I promise you this land, and I'm going to give it to you. Well, it's an interesting story as we come up, and now we are in the life of Isaac. And Isaac prayed to God on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Now, isn't it interesting that we seem to have a pattern here of childlessness coming, coming through this? This is kind of fascinating, this part of the story. Because Sarah was childless herself, if you remember? And when she was told by God that she was going to have a baby, that she was going to give birth to a child, and to name him Isaac, she, she laughed at God because she was way, way, way too old. And now we have a similar story where Rebecca is getting up in years as well, and she is getting the point, and she has had no children. They've been married 20 years. There has been no children coming and so uh, she reached out, and um, Isaac, he prayed, and he asked the Lord to do something. And sure enough, his wife became pregnant, and Rebecca had it. So there the story continues with the babies jostled with the, the twins within her. Now, I've never been pregnant, and uh, I don't know what that may be like to have a child inside you and kicking around. And I could only imagine what twins might be like if they are jostling back and forth, how uncomfortable that might be. Some of you who have given birth maybe know that, that experiences. And so she asked, she asked, why is this happening to me? Why can't I have just a normal thing? Why am I having this happen? So what did she do? The Bible says that she went and inquired of the Lord. She went to ask him. Somehow that deed didn't make it. And the Lord said to her, the Lord answered her and said to you, two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples from within you will be separated. One, one people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Now, as we look at that, this is yet another nation coming out of the heritage of the promise of Abraham. We already had Israel coming forward, it were coming out of that through Isaac. We also had Ishmael's descendants, and we also now we're having another nation coming. So now we have three coming from 
the lineage of Abraham. So the Bible goes on and says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one came out and was red, and the whole body was like hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Esau. Well, what happens is Esau, the uh, meaning about being hairy, and the concept of red, in Hebrew, the word means Edom. Edom. So the descendants of Esau were the Edomites. Heard of them? They were in battle with Israel a lot. And eventually they got taken over, but they were the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, from the red. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Now, the meaning of Jacob is to take by the heel. He was grabbing, he grabbed Esau's heel. So the meaning of that name, which then continued to grow into be meaning the deceiver. He was a deceiver, which we will deal with next week. But it's fascinating that if your name is Jacob, we don't call you the deceiver anymore. Wouldn't, we wouldn't want to do that. But Jacob was known as the deceiver. That's why the Lord will change his name coming later. So, verse 26, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man from the open country. And he liked to go out and do things outdoors and in the woods and in the countryside. And he was a great hunter, the Bible says, a skillful at it. And he would bring home game for his parents and for the family, because the family was large. And so they would come and do that, and that, that he enjoyed. He had that kind of a personality that loved that sort of thing. And so Jacob, though, he was content to stay home among the tents. And so he was not so interested in going out and hunting. So their personalities were far different. It's interesting that as I look over my children, how they have different personalities. They're so different from each other. One likes one thing, one likes the other. And they do, even though they're brothers. It's interesting how they came. So here is Jacob is far different than Esau as they are growing up. So Isaac, the Bible says, Isaac had a taste for wild game. And he loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Would you look at that? Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, as a parent, I find this absolutely stunning. Of course, sometimes children think, well, mom liked you best, or mom liked me best, or whatever. But as a parent, I liked all my children, loved all my children best. If you're a parent, you know what that means. I loved them the best. There is, there, is no, there is no one above the other. They were all the very best. And the love of a parent, and I would see some of you nodding, normally you understand how that works, don't you? That you could never say you love this one less. But the Bible says Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Do you think that might lead to some problems in the house? I would say that there was conflict there. Dad likes me best. Mom likes me best. If the Bible said it, they knew it. Those children knew it. They knew how it went. Verse 29. So once when Jacob 
was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country. And the Bible says he was famished. It's the word that was used. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. That is uh, referring to the red stew. But Jacob replied, and he said, first, first some of your birthright. And Esau said, well, look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is a birthright to me? Birthright. What good is a birthright? What good is a birthright? We don't necessarily have that kind of thing in our, in our society. Um, the oldest doesn't then have the responsibility of the birthright as they did in ancient Near East. They did, they're just not the same as they are today. We all expect the first come, although we do talk about one's the firstborn, one's the secondborn, and they kind of have personality things that happen with them. But the birthright, giving of the birthright, well, the birthright had some things that attached to it. One would receive the family's inheritance. They would get all the thing. Now you think, Abraham was a wealthy man, which he passed on to Isaac, which now Isaac is going to pass on to the man who has the birthright, the oldest. That's going to be it. And so that money, all that land, all that thing fell upon the oldest, had the birthright. He also was to be the family's spiritual leader. And to make that happen, he would be the one who would lead. The priest of the home would be. He would be the one that would set how the family was to be in their spiritual lives and to make that go. Also, what came with the particular promise was that there would be the promise of the coming Redeemer would come down through that line. So those things were the things, the positive things that came through. But there also was with the birthright, there was responsibility. He was to devote his life to the service of God. He was to say, I'm going to follow God no matter what. And so that was the heritage. That's why Abraham got moved. That's why Abraham taught his sons. That's why they didn't get involved with idols. That's where the whole story builds around that I am devoted my life to the service of God. That was the story of Abraham. And what he's do also, in marriage, he must consult God. So that's why Rebecca came up on the scene, you see, to have happen. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him and selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave him some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And the Bible says, the Bible says, so Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. How so? How is it possible? How is it possible that he... You see, in a very short time, in a very short time, he bartered away. He bartered away the glorious heritage that God himself had promised to his fathers. And for a bowl of lentils... He let it go. It's gone. Evidently, Esau did not value his birthright. He didn't see value in it. It was something that could be gone. Jacob evidently coveted his brother's birthright because he knew the wealth and the things that would follow, the responsibility. 
So I was thinking, how, how could Esau not find value in the birthright? How could he not? How could he just get up and just let it go? How could he despise the birthright? Well, Hebrews gives us a little, little clue there. In Hebrews uh, 12, verse 16, it says to us that Esau was a profane and godless person. Therefore, therefore, he didn't want the spiritual part to be in his life. He didn't want to be the spiritual leader of his family. He wanted to dump all that. He, he didn't care about that. He cared about hunting. He cared about being outside. He didn't care about that kind of stuff. He didn't care about how the worship was going. He didn't care if there were false gods. He didn't care anything about that. He was just going to be his own self. In fact, it was found that, that he uh, found that the birthright was too restricting. He wanted his freedom, he thought. He thought that this would bring freedom to his life if he didn't have to have all those responsibilities, if he didn't have to be. He didn't want to be the man that people look up and say, oh, you're the spiritual leader of our family. He didn't want that. He just wanted to be free. He thought that would be great if I could just be free. And so he wanted to be free to do exactly as he pleased. Some of us long to do and to be free like that. You think? Prodigal son, remember that story? Just give me my stuff so I can go be free. Don't want to live in the, the rules of the house. Don't want to have that spiritual stuff draped all over me. No, 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 no. Just let me be free. Let me go. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'd like you to notice something in the words, the words that came from the Apostle Paul. I'd like you to notice something here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that shares a, a little insight into this whole experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 17, if you would. For our light and momentary troubles are achieved for us, as an eternal glory that far awaits them all. Let's try it again. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, so, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since we have, what we have seen is temporal, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. What is unseen is eternal. Well, my father, I, I learned a tremendous thing. He was a godly man and a loving and caring man for people. And at his funeral, um, our family was gathered there, and probably maybe 40, 50 people. There were gathered as, at his funeral. My dad lived to be 95 years of age. And we were there, and um, things went like they normally do at funerals. And then um, my sister got up to read a letter from Lonnie Meloshenko. Now, Lonnie Meloshenko, as many of you may know, is, was the um, leader of the Voice of Prophecy for a while. I grew up throwing snowballs at him and uh, with his, he and his brother and went to uh, elementary school. 
And our families became long-lost friends, and just we just stayed together. I mean, whenever we were around, we would travel to go visit the Milashenkos, and they would come see us. So we're at the funeral, and there's a letter from Lonnie Milashenko. And um, it was a normal, yes, thank you, blah, 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 going through and stuff. It was comforting to hear. But in the very end was the paragraph at the end, and it said, if it hadn't been for Dr. Bossert, all of us little Milashenko boys would never have had a Christian education. I was stunned. I'd never heard that. Dad was putting the Milashenko boys through school? Why? While he was doing that, I was, I was asking for us to get a ski boat. I was. Why can't we have a ski boat? Dad, you make enough money. I mean, come on, come on. Why, why can't we have a ski boat? And as I'm sitting there in that funeral, I'm listening to, to my dad's values he thought that putting those boys through school, and many of them became pastors, ministers, teachers, he thought putting them through was more of more value than the ski boat that I could have gone around on the lake. And then sitting in there, I am grateful to my dad's values. You see, he saw something more than the temporal world. You saw something beyond. And I'm grateful to my dad, to my mom and dad, for showing me that kind of view of the world. So I ask you this morning, do you have a birthright? Esau did. But do you have a birthright? Do you have a birthright that makes a difference? Do you have a birthright that is, that is of importance to you? Well, birthrights... Birthrights were given to the oldest. The oldest, the oldest one was to be, have the birthright. The oldest one was to have that part in his life where he would take care of the others. And so the birthright carried with the responsibility of the whole family to make sure everything went well. But you may not say, I don't have that responsibility now, but you have been given a birthright by the blood of Jesus Christ. So your birthright, your birthright is not for this present world, but for the world to come. And therefore, looking into the world to come, making that world to come view, changes your perspective about what the value is in this world. And so I have to think if I'm going to follow in that birthright, that Christ paid for me, that, that this is just temporary to live in the world eternally, to, to go beyond, then I must think in different ways and different patterns about what I do, how I act. And it's a very sobering decision that I must make. It's a very sobering decision. It's a sobering decision for all of us. It's one that, one that we all have to make and think, Am I going to think long-range, or am I going to think temporary? 
Now, it doesn't mean if you have a ski boat. It's not talking I'm condemning you having a ski boat. What I'm talking about is that this world is not going to last, and we are going to a world that will last. Because it's our birthright by the blood of Christ. He gave it to us. And so many have made that decision before. Many have made that process, that thing before. They make that decision. They allow us to see from their lives how things will be, how things are going to be in the life to come. I saw one weary, sad and worn, with eager steps pressed on the way, who long the hollowed cross had borne, still looking for the promised day. While many a line of grief and care upon his brow was furrowed there, I asked what buoyed his spirits up, Oh, this, said he, the blessed hope. And one I saw with sword and shield, who boldly braved the world's cold frown, and fought unyielding on the field to win an everlasting crown. Though worn with toil, oppressed by foes, no murmur from his heart arose. I asked what buoyed his spirits up. Oh, this, said he, the blessed hope. And there was one who left behind the cherished friends of early years. And honor, pleasure, wealth resigned to tread the path bedewed with tears. Though trials deep and conflicts sore, yet still a smile of joy he wore. I asked what buoyed his spirits up. Oh, this said he, the blessed hope. While pilgrims here, we journey on in this dark veil of sin and gloom. Through tribulations, hate, and scorn, or through the portals of the tomb, till our returning king shall come to take his exiled captives home. Oh, what can buoy the spirits up? Tis this alone, the blessed hope. Those pioneers, those pioneers. From Joseph Bates, who brought us the Sabbath, to James White, who was editor of the Review, wife of Ellen White, to John Nevin Andrews, who left, became the first missionary in the Adventist Church, left all behind, because they saw something greater. They saw the blessed hope. They saw something far beyond. They saw that Christ needed to go to the world. They had the blessed hope. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, And it is written, When no eye has seen, 
what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Prepared for those who love him. Don't bargain away your birthright. This world has nothing in it worth it to bargain away your birthright. Each of us have that birthright who are in Christ Jesus. Because the things of this world are so nothing compared, the scriptures say, what God has prepared for you if you love him. Our Father, I thank you for this example that is given in scripture from Esau that he gave away his birthright. He could not see beyond the immediate and he forfeited. He forfeited everything. We have been given a birthright through the blood of Christ. May we do nothing to forfeit, forfeit that beautiful gift you have for us. To lift our eyes up and to see beyond today, to look into tomorrow. We ask for grace and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.